Hello, listeners, and welcome to COVID Coffee Chats at UCalgary, a podcast brought to you by the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning. My name is Maya Anderson, and I'll be your host for this podcast. I'm a grad student in the Workland School of Education, and I'm interested in finding out more about teaching and learning during COVID-19. I feel like we all have incredible stories and insights about how this pandemic has changed our lives and how it's changed the way we teach and the way we learn. So each episode, I'll chat with a UCalgarian and get their take on what teaching and learning has been like during COVID-19. And perhaps if we share these stories, we can learn a thing or two. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and enjoy the show. So with me this afternoon, I have Dr. Natasha Kenny. She is the Senior Director of the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Maya. So happy to be here to, to share in the journey and story of COVID with you today. So happy to have you here with us too. So most people probably do know you already, but could you start by giving a brief introduction to who you are and what you do at UCalgary? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm the Senior Director of the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning. It's quite a unique position at the University of Calgary. So my main role is to lead a team of about 40 um, graduate students, staff, faculty, postdoctoral scholars, as we work to create strong teaching and learning cultures, communities, and practices at the University of Calgary. So I imagine things have been quite different this year with COVID to say the least. So what are some of the ways that things have been different for you? Oh my goodness, I, I almost need to take us back. I remember um, even before we had the lockdown essentially in Canada, um, about, I guess it would have been in February, um, I started to notice on the national and international teaching and learning networks that a number of universities were actually closing down because of COVID. And this is when we didn't even have any cases in Canada at this point. Um, but there were a number of cases starting to emerge at the, at, in the US. And I started to notice um, some of these folks were pulling together teaching continuity sites and knowing that we didn't have it to support instructors as they went it online. Um, I started to send emails to a few staff um, at the TI saying, hey, have you seen what's going on internationally and nationally? Do you think this could happen here? And maybe regardless of whether we do close down, we should always have a teaching continuity site. Like what happens if there was a flood like there was in um, previously in Calgary? And how do we actually, do we have the resources collated to support folks? And I remember a few folks got back to me right away and said, great idea, we should start thinking about this. And within two weeks, we had received a directive from the provost and vice provost teaching and learning to create a teaching continuity site. Um, so it was just, um, and I couldn't have fathomed that the, because the institution was closing, I couldn't have fathomed that we would be called upon to help provide this level of support. If you asked me a year ago um, whether we could support, um, well, at the time, I think it's now, it's well over 6,000 courses um, transitioning into an online environment, um, mm. I would have said it was an impossible task. I, I honestly, I probably would have curled up in a ball and said, <laughs> I, I don't know where to start. 
Um, but we started with each other. And I think that's the, that's the key is we started by coming together and saying, okay, if we're going to do this, what do we already have? How do we make accessible and what do we need? And honestly, this started right from the top. When we first created the, the teaching continuity site and started creating resources, um, you know, our, our vice provost teaching and learning, Leslie Reed, was in the learning studio with us, helping to create resources. Like we, we knew that this really needed to be all hands on deck. Um, so I, I, yeah, I guess it, it's just, it's an extraordinary story to tell. It's an extraordinary story of resilience and, and perseverance um, and support from, I think, teaching and learning centers and institutes across the, the national landscape. I think also um, at the University of Calgary, we had our, our teaching and learning leaders from across the university coming together regularly to saying, here's, here's what we need, here's what I'm hearing from instructors. Um, can we potentially fill those gaps as we continue to um, support the academic community? So it's just been, um, and just to kind of put the, the breadth and depth of support we provided in context, um, we've just uh, reported uh, that we have over 63,000 hits so far in um, eight months time on our website. Uh, we've increased the number of, of courses and uh, amount of people participating in our programs dramatically by over 400% compared to 2019. Um, and I know that maybe we'll have a, an, um, an opportunity to talk about how we've also worked with students to make um, our support happen through the Learning Technologies Coaches Program. But we've had, um, I think, 25 coaches come together now to provide one-on-one -on -one consultations to faculty and they themselves have provided over 800 consultations. And that's in addition to the thousands of consultations that are already provided by faculty and staff at the TI. So. Um, it's just been a real collaborative, collective effort. We've had to um, not only, you know, engage in these one-on-one -on -one conversations, develop workshops and programs, um, but and create resources. We've really had to work to meet people where they're at and um, develop multiple resources and multiple points of entry so that folks could um, get the support they needed for where they were at. Mm -hmm. So in terms of where people are at, how has that changed? Are people become, do you find people are getting more comfortable with this online world now? And is the support you're providing different than it was at the beginning? What a great question. Yeah, I think folks would describe what we were doing in the beginning. I think there was lots of folks and I, I have different points of view on this, but we're differentiating the, the difference between remote and online learning. That emergency remote learning was essentially not thinking about intentional course design or anything. There was an emergency that we needed to respond to. And really when faculty have a week to um, ensure that they're able to get their course materials online, you know, it's an emergency response. It's okay, I'm gonna get this done. Um, I think what, what we've started to see is a shift more to um, intentional course design in online environments. And what that really involves is intentional thought and design about how we integrate asynchronous and synchronous learning experiences, how we scaffold learning or build progressive learning opportunities throughout the semester for students, how we design meaningful and thoughtful assessments uh, that's also 
support integrity. You know, these are just some of the consider and how we how we um, ensure that we're able to continue to build relationships and community in our teaching and learning environments, because I think when we think about teaching and learning above all it's about the relationships and community that we build um, teaching and learning is about confidence it's about self-efficacy it's about trust and you have to have the tools and resources to design those communities so you know I, I had one instructor actually recently reflect you know when I teach online I'm not expected to build the classroom so that's the, that's a good analogy for the shift that folks have faced that they're they're really required to build the classroom in an online environment um, and to build a classroom that supports all of these um, uh, these practices that I've that I've just talked about. So certainly we are seeing um, more of a shift from that. Uh, not saying we've we've met a uh, hundred percent of faculty here, but we're seeing that shift from from um, switching from that remote context from how do I use the tools to how do I really design meaningful student learning experiences and how do I respond to some of the more complex issues that I'm facing in in these online contexts so um, and I think that too we've also seen a shift from how do I just get my content online um, to mm -hmm. how do I design probably the biggest thing I think we're grappling with in higher ed right now is thinking about how do we design meaningful assessment practices um, and I see this as, uh, you know, in a way, um, I've, I, 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 I smile, it warms my heart a little bit that we're having these conversations. Um, because I think in teaching and learning, there's been a lot of focus on, on active learning and how do I design effective lectures, so to speak, mm -hmm. and less focus on meaningful assignment and assessment design. And we know from research that assessment really does drive what, when and how students learn. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that we're starting to have conversations about, oh my goodness, um, what does really a lot meaningful assessments look like that are aligned with the learning goals? How are we designing fair assessments that provide opportunities for students to practice what they're learning um, throughout the semester before they're being assessed? And again, um, importantly, how are we designing um, assessments that really promote integrity, both from an, an instructor and a student perspective. Um, and I think, you know, we don't have the solutions, especially in larger classes, but we're learning along the way. Um, and we're learning to help folks adapt in the, in the particular context that they're in. Absolutely. Yeah. Assessment is a huge piece. I think uh, K to 12 as well as higher education is is focusing on how we can do that and how we can actually change things and shift things for the better so it's very it's interesting to see it all play out so in terms of learning design for the courses that you're developing or the resources that you're developing how are you coming up with the ideas to do um specific things well, I think, you know, interestingly, and, and maybe I'll take you back to in a bit of a journey is that prior to COVID, we were already engaging with the faculty in arts and sciences um, on what was what was then called the online learning project. And it's, it's really, this was a, a large scale project for us, pulling together 12 instructors from across <laughs> faculty to redevelop 14 courses um, wow. in an online context. But I, this was so critical to our success because what had happened, and I think COVID happened about eight months into those folks' journey. Um, and what they were doing is they were coming together in an interdisciplinary community of practice to redesign these courses. Um, so there we were starting to 
understand what the needs of faculty who were transitioning courses to online um, environments, what resources and what supports they would need. So when we started the process, we had the experiences and resources from this project to draw upon. And I would say a lot of those that work along with the foundations of our own course design program and our teaching online program really formed the foundation of how we were supporting the academic community. What was interesting there and here I'm going to take us back to the community approach is we know that teaching and learning is community property and that really builds upon Lee Shulman's work from the early 90s um, where he really called for us to stop seeing teaching and learning as this private endeavor and really take a community-based approach where we were having conversations about teaching and learning across multiple levels involving multiple groups whether that be students um, instructors, senior administrators, everybody in the academic community is part of, of, of affecting the student experience. Um, what, what happened here is that not only was the TI, you know, working to build these resources, but this interdisciplinary community of instructors, whether they recognize themselves as educational leaders or not, quickly became leaders in their faculty. So it was they who were then pointing others and providing advice to other faculty within their context uh, to help um, share strategies for adapting to this new online and remote reality. Um, so that was a real success story to me there is that it's important to realize we didn't not start from ground zero. We started from learning from our own experiences and starting to adapt and build upon some key learnings um, that we had already taken um, from, from those programs. It sounds like that was a good a starting point and a good base for you to work off of. You kind of touched on this earlier with the learning coaches, but could you tell us more a bit more about the learning coaches and how they're how students are helping with this whole entire endeavor? Yeah, that's such a that's such an important thing I think for us to highlight. So I fundamentally believe in the importance of working with students as partners in teaching and learning. And that can mean in a in a single course scale, it can mean working with students to gather feedback throughout the semester to continually adapt the course like it really is it's it's not about I one instructor that I used to work with always used to say there was a fundamental shift in my mind when I realized it's not about what I teach but it's what uh, it's about what students learn and that's the fundamental um, uh, paradigm shift I think that we're facing um, about three years ago, we, um, based on recommendations out of the Strategic Framework for Learning uh, Technologies, we had developed a pilot um, coaches program where the faculties were provided resources to um, hire graduate students to act as coaches within their own context. Um, what was missing from that program and why that program, the key learning from that program we learned is that it's great to have um, that additional support but that support really needs to be coordinated and supported centrally. And those coaches need to have opportunities for their own professional development and also to share uh, knowledge across faculties. And I share that because that program was fundamental for our learnings for developing the Learning Technologies Coaches Program. Mm -hmm. um, and based on, based on what we learned through those experiences, we knew that the Taylor Institute just did not have the capacity to reach as many folks as we needed to. Um, we were also looking to other institutions. Some institutions were hiring multiple, like dozens of extra learning and instructional designers to support the work in their faculty. 
but based on the success of our our previous learnings from the um, learning technologies coaches program we thought that and the fact that we knew that there was a gap for graduate students right now in gainful employment during mm -hmm. the, especially during the summer mm -hmm. um, we decided to introduce a, a program in which we would provide a meaningful uh, job experience work experience for graduate students and we would provide, uh, be able to reach more of the academic community um, by offering um, support in which these learning technologies coaches would help faculty, you know, go right into their course shells and help them transfer content, build grade books, uh, set up assignments and, ses and assessments, really help with that in-depth one-on-one work. Um, and it's really been an extraordinary success story. And, and really, I have to say, Allie Wright's been leading this. She came in as a, a sessional um, or an educational development consultant to help support this, um, was able to build a strong community of graduate students to then provide support. What I'd also like to emphasize is that part of, part of this journey and part of what's important to highlight is many of these graduate students, if not all of these graduate students, had previously participated in Taylor Institute workshops, courses, certificate programs. So many of them actually came in with a fairly sophisticated understanding of teaching and learning in higher education, especially those who had gone through the graduate student certificate program in university teaching and learning. So not only were they eager, they had this foundational research informed understanding of teaching and learning, and obviously some experience themselves, either teaching or TAing, and were really eager to provide support. So, um, and as I stated before, I think we currently have about 15 coaches this semester, we had 10 coaches over the summer, uh, so 25 coaches in total um, that have supported the academic community and again provided almost a thousand consultations uh, and that one-on-one -on -one support that, you know, honestly, we just couldn't have done that alone. So I think it's been a win-win-win um, for, uh, for the students, for us, and for the academic community, um, so much so that I can't see us ever moving forward without learning technology coaches in the TI, working in the TI even post COVID. Amazing. That's such an amazing program to have and for graduate students as well as instructors and just having that additional support. And it does sound very much a win-win situation. Yeah. So moving forward, what do you uh, foresee happening with the TI in terms of online learning and blended learning and as we move through COVID? Yeah, I have a few things to highlight there. Um, first, I see us continuing to draw upon our networks and communities. So we could not have responded in the way we did without having regular meetings with the Vice Provost Teaching and Learning, without having regular meetings and being invited to meetings with the Associate Deans Teaching and Learning Networks to listen to the issues that their faculty are facing and that they're hearing about so that we can continue to develop uh, resources and programs and supports that meet the needs of the academic community. So, and one of the things actually that COVID had has afforded us is meeting more regularly because Zoom has actually enabled us to more accessibly meet with each other. Um, folks don't have to trek across campus to get to the TI to have these conversations, you know. Um, uh, love it or not, we're sitting in our living rooms and bedrooms and dining room tables and having these conversations. So that's one thing I'd really like to highlight is I think only amplifying how important teaching and learning communities and networks of knowledge sharing across the institution and beyond the institution are. So another thing 
obviously that I've been learning from is the importance of, so we also met uh, at one point, I think we were meeting weekly as directors of teaching and learning centers to learn from each other. So having those shared mm -hmm. networks um, and communities is critical to our, our success. And the other thing I think that our own, so we've shifted all of our programs online. We've seen such dramatic increases in engagement that I think we will always ensure that we have opportunities for professional and learning to occur in online and blended contexts. Um, I can see in my own practice, for example, um, Leslie Reed and I teach a course in educational leadership and mentorship, and we quickly and rapidly needed to shift that to an online context. We had planned to run it as a four-day intensive workshop type course, um, but needed to adapt that all in, um, in an online context. We have already talked about that we would never go back fully face-to-face -face or fully online. It'll probably be blended. So that's another shift that we'll see. Um, we also, um, because of the, the really university's vision and the Taylor Institute's success, we've received a million dollar um, grant from the Flanagan Foundation or donation from the Flanagan Foundation to really um, leverage our learning from COVID and build uh, more capacity in online and blended learning and really to build a stronger institutional strategy for online and blended learning um, into the future. So obviously we know that we're not going to have 100% of courses online nor would any institution um, well, there are some institutions that are fully online, but nor would that be, I think, a, a, an, an expected vision for the University of Calgary. But I do think we are going to see a, some entire programs uh, decide that they want to have a parallel program in an online context. Um, some instructors realizing that, wow, um, uh, you know, the online environment A is, is not, some people, I, I think online learning has a stigma around um, that it's not as high quality <laughs> learning, but when designed well, it can have equal to or a better, provide a better student learning experience. So I think we're also having, we'll see almost every instructor experiment more and integrate components of online environments into, into their individual courses. And of course, we'll have programs that might not be ready to launch a parallel online program, um, offer online versions of their courses. Um, so I, I think we're going to say, all that to say is I think we're going to see um, an increased number of online programs and courses at the University of Calgary where deemed appropriate. We have a lot of thoughtful leaders that will think very carefully about that. We're going to see instructors that are more open to integrating online um, experiences into their courses. I think we're going to continue to see demand for building educational leadership capacity and expertise in online learning. So we will be developing more um, supports and resources around that. But I think as an institution, we're going to have to, to really look inward and think critically about what are the infrastructure, what are the policies, what are the processes needed to really implement a robust um, online learning, teaching and learning community at the University of Calgary. So you can think of, do we, do we have the right platforms? Do we have the right resources? Do we have the right policies in place? How are we rewarding and recognizing <laughs> online learning? Mm -hmm. um, and then what programs and supports do we have to, um, uh, to support academic staff that are doing this work? Yeah, wow, it sounds like such an exciting time and something really good that's coming out of this time that we've been through that hasn't been as great for many people. So, well, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Can I just add to that? I think it's so important 
and I know I'm, I'll make it explicit that before we met for this interview, we're, we're, we're having a, or a conversation. We're having a conversation on a Friday afternoon where both of us admit exhausted we were. And I think it's really important to um, ensure that we speak transparently about how challenging this time has been for everybody. Um, I think I have, uh, you know, I'm really worried about well-being. I'm really worried about burnout across the academic community, whether that's support staff, faculty, students, postdoctoral scholars. Um, this is such an extraordinary time that I think we're, we really have to acknowledge that and we're going to have to heal from that as well. Um, there, and, and the other thing I, I, I really do want to acknowledge, things haven't been perfect, but folks are doing the best we can. Um, so I think a lot of our own personal lives, the context in which we work, whether we have stable access to internet, uh, whether we have the computer resources that we need, whether we have uh, new puppies running at home, whether we're caring for our, um, our, our family members. I know my daughter just healed from COVID. It was hard two weeks, right? So I just, I also, I don't want that the challenge that we face to remain hidden. And I think we need to continue to talk about that um, and figure out how we're gonna heal from that and move forward um, into the future. Cause right now I just, I, I do think we're all feeling not only a little bit of pandemic fatigue but also just fatigue from the work that's required for us to respond to these, um, the circumstances that we face both personally and professionally. Absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. And and definitely there's certainly many, many challenges and we're just all doing the best we can. It's also really interesting to see how resilient we're becoming and what strategies we're putting in place to help us acknowledge the, the challenges, but also move forward in a in a positive, well, kind of positive way and, and just get through this together, really. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is Friday afternoon and I don't want to keep you too long. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? No, I just, I honestly just want to express my gratitude to the entire academic community. Um, let folks know how proud I am to be part of the Taylor Institute. And I say be part of the Taylor Institute because really it is an exceptional community of colleagues um, working to help support the academic community. These folks care. Um, and, and also just to emphasize how fortunate it is to be part of an academic community that, that values collaboration um, and that values community and that none of us could have um, survived and thrived in these circumstances without support from other folks, whether that be folks who we have significant conversations with in our local network, whether that be our um, incredible um, leaders, uh, including the associate deans teaching and learning and all department heads that have come together to support their faculty. And we have an exceptional, exceptional leadership team that really cares about teaching and learning. And I think the University of Calgary really provides a, a model for how we build these um, ongoing conversations and networks about um, how we provide meaningful learning experiences from students and also how we ensure that instructors, teachers, faculty members have the um, confidence and the self-efficacy and the skills and abilities to really create um, those meaningful um, environments for students. Because teaching and learning is hard. It's hard for students, it's hard for faculty. 
um, and it will take an entire community, it always will, um, to engage to provide support in order to create those, uh, the quality teaching and learning environments that we most espouse to create. So yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with us and just really uh, want to emphasize my, my passion um, for both the um, leadership needed to um, inspire uh, change and, and to respond to constant change in our academic mm -hmm. context, but also to the importance of community and conversation um, and shared learning in our, in our academic communities. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope things go well for you over and I hope you get to have a break over over the holiday season a little bit, <laughs> but thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Maya. Well, folks, that was my coffee chat with Natasha Kenny. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to hear your insights on teaching and learning through COVID-19. And thank you to you for listening. For more information on the project, visit the website at covidcoffeechats.ucalgaryblogs.ca. And if you'd like to connect with me, feel free to email me at maya.anderson at ucalgary.ca. Take care and see you next time.